Well, good morning. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Today we're finishing up a five-week sermon series that we've called The Enemies of Gratitude. The Enemies of Gratitude. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the lectionary passages for this portion of the Christian year, and we've been drawing out things from those scriptures that can keep us from being truly grateful. We've been naming things that prevent us from seeing the blessings that are all around us, right here in front of us, right here and right now. And if you've missed any of these five weeks, then I encourage you to go back and check them out on our YouTube channel. Uh, It's been an affirming sermon series for me. So many of you have felt like that this really resonated with your spirit as we've looked at the things that can get in the way of gratitude. And so we've talked about things like nostalgia, looking back and thinking that the past is always going to be better than the present. That can keep us from being grateful. And this sense of entitlement, like we deserve what we get, that, that, that this is all about us, it's very self-centered, uh, that can keep us from realizing that everything, every good and perfect gift is a gift from God and that we should be grateful for it. Worry can really keep us from from understanding and appreciating that, that, that even in our darkest days and darkest seasons of life, there are things that we can be grateful for in the present moment. And then last week, we talked about greed and how greed, the consumption of wanting more and more and more and more, can keep us from being grateful for what we already have. And, and uh, so today we're going to talk about disappointment. And uh, our passage of Scripture is from Deuteronomy chapter 34. As I preach every week, I oftentimes come up with an example, a personal illustration, or maybe a story that I've read or heard that sort of relays the, the theme of the day. And so when I thought about disappointment, I thought about just saying, well, after the children sang, this sermon's going to be a disappointment. Uh, didn't they lead us beautifully this morning? And, uh, and then to be reminded of, of, in our children's message about uh, generosity. Uh, uh, this is going to be a disappointment to hear me preach after all of that. But then I thought, well, I've got so many examples of disappointment in my life. I mean, isn't that true for most of us? If you think back over the course of your life, uh, not everybody here is greedy. Not everybody here is a worrier. Not everybody here looks back at the past and says, you know what, it was always better way back then than it is right now. Uh, But just about every one of us, has experienced some sort of disappointment in our life. And so as I thought about what kind of example or personal illustration could I give to to talk about disappointment, I had all sorts of things that I could talk about today. 
I could talk about the Atlanta Braves. I'm a huge Braves fan. I grew up watching TBS. Best record in baseball, 14 games better than the Philadelphia Phillies in the regular season, and yet we lose to those long-haired, hippie-looking people from, oh, excuse me, a little disappointment coming out. I I thought about... uh, this week, that maybe I would just talk about a looming disappointment. Uh, I'm an Ole Miss fan. Right now, we've only lost one game. The disappointment is coming. In fact, I thought it might come this weekend against Vanderbilt. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm an Ole Miss fan. I've been a season ticket holder to Ole Miss football since 1994. And when you add the four years that I went to all those games when I was in school there, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And it doesn't matter. We get close to the promised land, and then we end up being disappointed. I felt like in my spirit when I went to the game last night that I was going to come home a loser and that Steve Dix was going to be happy. Now, what I do is, well, late game like last night, it starts at 6.30, so I end up spending the night in Oxford after the game, and then I usually get up around 4, 4.15, and I drive all the way back so that I could be here and worship on Sunday morning. And so I was so convinced that this might be the week of disappointment that I packed several ties. An Ole Miss tie, like the one I'm proudly wearing this morning, if we won. In the event, however, that we lost, I packed an Auburn-colored tie because I thought, surely they'll beat Mississippi State, right? But then I thought, I've seen both Auburn and Mississippi State play. I might not be okay with the Auburn color tie. So then I decided that I would pack one more tie. It's red and blue, and I figured this would be a way of still showing my support for my beloved Rebels in the event that we lose, but it's actually a St. Jude's tie. And so I could just say that I was simply supporting St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, it didn't happen that way last night, so I am temporarily, my disappointment has been alleviated, but we play Texas A&M next week, and if that doesn't humble me, we got the Georgia Bulldogs the week after that. The Dead Sea wasn't even sick the last time Georgia lost a football game. So disappointment is coming. Now, I tried to keep it light today because I realized that if we started thinking about the more serious disappointments of our life, it could turn dark pretty quick, you know? There are a lot of people in this room have experienced all sorts of disappointment. It's taken your breath away and not in a good way. It's left you reeling. It's left you angry. It's left you bitter. It's left you hurt. Disappointment is just one of those things that sooner or later is going to visit every single one of us. And it certainly visited Moses in the Old Testament. Now, in our passage of Scripture today, Moses has been brought to the promised land. He is on the edge of the promised land. He's looking over into the promised land. A few weeks ago, I talked about how when I went on a, a, a airline and I had these uh, stand, uh, first-class standby seats, 
And, and that usually means that if those seats aren't full, that you get to sit in the first class. And I didn't get to sit there, even though there were clearly empty seats. And I, I talked about, I felt like Moses. I could see into the promised land. I could see what those first class folks were experiencing, but I could not experience it myself. I was prevented from going. That's exactly what has happened to Moses Moses is standing there on the brink of the promised land, but he's not going to be allowed to go in. Now, I'm just going to tell you that if I had been in the heavenly host that day when God made the decision to prevent Moses from going into the promised land, I would have said, come on, God, give the brother a break. I mean, you think about it, Moses... if. It wasn't a perfect guy, to be sure, but, but certainly what Moses endured, what Moses went through, I'm going to be on his side and say that I sure would have liked to have seen him to be able to enter into the promised land. You might remember that God called to Moses in a burning bush, and God said to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and help to free my people from bondage. The only problem is, is that Moses has already fled from Egypt for his very life because he killed somebody, and now they're out to kill him, and he doesn't really want to go back to Egypt because he's afraid that he's going to have to answer to his crimes. So God calls Moses to go, and Moses ends up going. Now, the first thing that Moses has to do is he has to convince his own people, that they should listen to him, that, that they should follow him, that, that he is on a mission from God. And then Moses has to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the land, and demand on behalf of God that Pharaoh let God's people go. And then Moses, when he finally does uh, get to leave with the Israelites, this Pharaoh, most powerful man in the land, is actually chasing after him. And this, it's, it's kind of scary when, when he's worried about Pharaoh hot on his heels. And then after he gets away from Pharaoh, he ends up wandering around in the wilderness with these knuckleheads for 40 years. And they're whining, and they're worrying, and they're complaining. Multiple times, Moses has to intercede on behalf of the Israelites to God, and then he has to turn around and he has to intercede on behalf of the, uh, the God to the Israelites. He's stuck in the middle all the time, and everybody's on him all the time. Moses gets to go up on top of Mount Sinai where he receives the Ten Commandments from God. He has this holy mountaintop experience and then he comes back down the mountain and his the people that he just left there a few days before are building a golden calf and worshiping an idol Moses has had his hands full with these people for years and years and years and yet when he finally gets them to the promised land God tells him that he can't go in 
Now, on my flight, I only got to sit on the front row and look into the first class for one moment, a brief moment, one flight. But Moses has been with these people for 40 years, and he doesn't get to go. Now, why doesn't he get to go? Well, you're probably not going to like the answer to this. But the reason he doesn't get to go is found in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, The Israelites, as they were prone to do after they were freed from bondage, are complaining about the water and the food, and they're talking about how, well, at least when they were with Pharaoh, they got three square meals a day, even though they were in bondage the whole time. And, And so they're upset about there not being any water to drink, and so this is what happens. Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord told Moses, Take your staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them, Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So what does Moses do? Moses takes the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. He and Aaron gather the assembly together before the rock, and he says to them, Listen, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And when he says, Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? He ain't talking about me and God. He's talking about me and Aaron. And then, after he asks them if they want water from the rock, he lifts up his staff and he taps that rock twice. And that's not what God told him to do. And since he didn't listen to God, God says to Moses, because you did not trust me, because you sought to bring glory on yourself instead of me, You shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And don't you know that Moses was really disappointed? Now, you wouldn't know that necessarily from our passage of Scripture today. In order to get a real sense of how disappointed uh, Moses is, you'd have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23. This is Moses speaking. He says, I entreated the Lord, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your might. What gods in heaven or on earth can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours? God, let me cross over to the good land beyond the Jordan that good hill country, and the Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with Moses. And Moses says, he was mad at me on because of all of y'all. And then he says, the Lord said, enough from you. Never speak to me about this matter again. You can go up to the top of Pisgah, And you can look around to the west and to the north and to the east and to the south, and you can look well, but you shall not cross over this Jordan. 
Moses was disappointed. Disappointment can keep us from being grateful. Fortunately for us, in our passage of Scripture today, right after Moses gets to look into the promised land but not go, we're just told he dies. (laughs) But we're told that he was one of the greatest prophets that had ever lived. And so the writer was as if he was trying to say he was disappointed that he didn't get to go, but he still focused on what he could be grateful for. My invitation for you today is to not let the disappointments in your life rob you from seeing that there are still things you can be grateful for. The Braves may have lost in the first round of the playoffs this year, but it was the best single baseball team I have ever witnessed with my own two eyes. The entire infield made the all-star team. And I had so much fun watching them over 162 games that I've decided that even though they choked in the first round of the playoffs, I'm not going to let that disappointment rob me from being grateful for getting to see a wonderful season of baseball. And Ole Miss may lose next weekend against Texas A&M, and if they don't lose then, they'll almost surely lose the following weekend in Georgia I predicted 6-6 six and six when this season started, so I'm going to be grateful even though I'll be tempted to allow my disappointment to take over. In whatever far more serious way your disappointment threatens you, my hope is that you will not allow it to rob you from seeing what God is still up to and doing in your life and in the world, and that it won't prevent you from being truly grateful.